The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A man leaving his house one day has a bizarre encounter with a cloud. And then we take a look at the story of the Gaddington Portal, a personal favorite of mine. Four young college students on their way home from a rodeo tried to take a shortcut. But instead, the shortcut takes them out of this world. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm still dealing with the effects of my rolled ankle. Woke up today. My toes were numb. And they're going numb. I let it go on for a couple hours and I was like, that's not good. <laughs> so I hobbled up to the doctor office, got checked out by my doctor. My doctor has those eyes. She's actually my backup doctor. I have like my main doctor and then there's this backup doctor I see every once in a while. I'm sitting there, my little toesies all numb, and the backup doctor walks. I'm sure she has an official title, don't remember her name, but she walks in the office and she has those wolf eyes, like those penetrating blue eyes. And every time I see her, I'm a little speechless. It's so weird. She walks in and I feel like a deer that's like walking through the woods. And she does this all the time. She kind of she doesn't say anything. She open the door opens up. Backup doctor kind of walks into the room. She kind of turns around the door. And she makes eye contact with me, and she's completely silent as she's, like, moving towards me. And then she sits down, and she goes, Hi, I'm Wolf Woman, the doctor. But for those, like, five seconds where she walks in silently, she makes eye contact with you. You feel, you. there's just, like, this primordial fear. She's a good doctor. I'm not knocking her for her supernatural ability to frighten me. But anyway, she sat down. She felt that she was, like, feeling my toes, and she checked the pulse and everything like that. And she's because I was afraid my toes are going to fall off, that I had some circulation issue. And she's like, nah, nah, you're fine. So there you go. That was a great afternoon. And she's like, you can't do anything for it. You just got to heal. That story had nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about. Let's go ahead. And, oh, and one last thing. One last thing. Also, we got a new Patreon supporter, Ash Knotts. I know Ash Knotts. She's a, I guess I would say friend of mine. I've only met her a couple times, but she's pretty cool. She's also a director. And she also directed me in a short film that should be coming out any day now. So when that happens... I'll tell you guys about it, tell you guys where you can watch it. It'll probably hit the film festival circuit for a while. And then me and the dude who were in the movie, uh, we already planned this. I hadn't told Ash and Dan this yet, but we're going to talk about the movie on an episode of Dead Rabbit Radio on one of the special episodes because there was a ghost when we were shooting. It was either a ghost or a hobo on the set. Maybe both. Maybe a ghost hobo. But I have a ton of crazy stories from four hours of shooting this short horror film that Ash directed. And when the movie comes out, we'll do a special. I'll tell you all about the ghost and how I almost got killed by a spider and almost fell out of a house and all the sorts of stuff. So, but anyway, so thank you, Ash. Thank you to all the Patreons who have supported the show. Let's go ahead and get started with the episode now. Let's hop in the Carpenter Copter. It's been a couple days we haven't used the Carpenter Copter. I can't really walk anyways. Let's hop in the Carpenter Copter and I'm going to fly while you work the pedals because my feet hurt. My one foot hurts, but I'm just acting like a baby at this point. I'm like, oh, I can't move my legs. 
So I'm flying, and you're sitting down, and you're, I'm assuming there's pedals on a helicopter. I have no idea. I don't think it's actually pedal-powered. You're like, oh, upper body workout. But anyways, we're flying all the way back to the year 1975. We are going to Long Island, New York, truly near the city that never sleeps. And we land. Your arms are all, your arms are all sore, and I'm like, carry me out carry me out so you pick me up and now you're carrying me out of the helicopter like wolverine and professor x put me down into a hover chair and now we're like i'm like oh thanks we're floating around long island we're specifically going to oyster bay and on this day this is a summer day there's a science teacher local science teacher named tom (laughs) diarkel i never said that name out loud uh diarkel D or Cole, maybe. It doesn't matter. He sounds like Steve Urkel. Anyways, so Tom's like, oh, he's all goofy, high suspenders. He walks out. I never didn't even didn't even think of his name like that. He walks out of his house, big glasses. He's like, yeah, I can't wait to get to work. I'm gonna blow something up. He's <laughs> he's not a terrorist. He's not a terrorist. He's a science teacher. I should have explained that before him talking about blowing stuff up. Through like making potions and stuff, not like rigging bombs. He's like, oh, I can't wait to kill all my enemies. So he's not a terrorist. He's a science teacher. He's a high school science teacher. Tom D. Urkel walks out of his house and he's getting in his car. And it's then when he looks up in the sky and he sees like a little black cloud floating there. He's like, well, that's weird. According to my calculations, what accent is that too? That's like hillbilly. He's like, that's weird. According to my calculations, clouds shouldn't do that. And so the clouds kind of float in there. And he notices, first off, it's a bright sunny day. He sees all the clouds in the sky and he sees this one particular black cloud. But it's much lower than the other clouds in the sky. And then he notices something even more unusual. It's flying against the wind. He's like, that's bizarre. It's flying against the wind. And then it starts to lower towards him morning this is the morning this isn't at spooky spooky night he's not in a graveyard he's just walked out of his house and he's watching this black cloud start to lower itself towards him and as it's lowering towards him he notices it stops being like it originally was like a round globulous shape so just like this big lumpy cloud but then it starts to get bigger and change shape so it's descending and it's getting closer and it's changing shape. And eventually he says it, he described it as an abstract curved vapor. So it's basically, it almost seems like it's making some sort of real shape. It's no longer just like a little fluffy cloud with a Care Bear on it. It's like this MC Escher designed the cloud and it's still coming towards him. And then eventually it gets to within spinning distance of him. So it's quite close. And then he sees, he pulls out his calculator and he's calculating this. He's like, oh, maybe Laura will love me now that I found this new cloud. I'll name it after her. And he sees the cloud a little like, he describes it as lips. Like he sees like a little gap appear in the front of the cloud. And it goes, and he's like, it looked like it sucked in. Like I actually saw a little gap appear. And then it looked like it had the reflex of sucking something in. He's afraid now because now it's completely unnatural. First, you could be like, well, maybe the wind was pressing against it and making it small. And maybe it was black because it was a tar cloud or whatever. But once he saw a little mouth appear and go, "Eh," you know, there's no explaining that. And there's no explaining what happened next. He's standing on the ground, the clouds in the air. And when I said spitting distance, I was literal because then it goes and spits water on Tom. Oh, slipping in it. And then it just fades away into nothing. So he's drenched. 
His car is drenched. And he runs inside and takes off his wet clothes, puts on some dry clothes, and then puts the wet clothes in a bag, gets in his car, and drives to his high school science lab, and he starts running tests on his clothes. And he is able to tell the pH level from the liquid on his clothes that it's water. So it spit water. I think the first thing, I, if I was walking down the street and a cloud appeared and started following me down the street, and I'm walking a little bit faster. I can't even walk right now. I'm using my crutch. I'm hobbling. <laughs> the cloud's getting closer. I'm like, oh no, not today, not today. It's getting closer and closer to me. I'm like, where's my friends who carry me in a helicopters? And then it starts spitting on me. My first fear would be like, I'm going to melt or turn into a cloud. Like there's, it, it spilled some sort of chemical on me that's going to have a horrible effect. It's not just water. But it was, apparently, just water. It's considered a cryptid, and it's known as the sky spitter. And it's the only time it's ever been seen. Or, I guess a more apt description is, it might be the only time someone's ever survived an encounter with this thing. No, it's probably the only time it's ever been seen. There's a I mean, I don't know how it could kill you unless you were in the Arctic, and you're like, oh, I'm all bundled up, don't have to worry about anything, and then, <laughs> then clouds start spitting on you, and you freeze to death. But I, I think that it, it, this is one of those stories that either he made it up completely, somebody else made it up, which having the last name Diurkel might be a little bit of a clue that it's made up. I never said that name out loud until I was reading it. Either he made it up, someone else made it up, or it's true. Those are With these type of stories, those are really where you're at. And it's really hard to kind of debunk that. I mean, it defeats all logic that a cloud could spit on somebody. But, I mean, you know, weirder things have happened. I, I think if you believe in stuff like ghosts and Bigfoots and aliens, a cloud, <laughs> a cloud chasing someone, spitting on him. But it would be interesting to find out, like, is there a phenomenon that he could have mistaken it for. That's always, I guess, the fourth thing. That the event actually happened, but it didn't... It wasn't the phenomenon he thought it was. Maybe he doesn't know it, but he's a real-life Charlie Brown character. Whenever he gets sad, a little dark cloud appears over his head. Maybe he's a tune. We don't know these things. All we know is that one day, Tom D'Urkel walked out of his house and got spit on by a cloud. I wonder if he ever washed those clothes. I wonder if they're, like, sitting behind, like, a glass frame in his house, all moldy... They're all super moldy. They're like 30, 40. Actually, they're older than me. They'd be 43 years old now. Just 43 years old of black mold growing on these things. He's like, sit on my lap, grandkids, and I'll tell you about the time that a cloud spit on me. And they're like, no, Grandpa, no, not again. He's like, smell it, smell the black mold. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. He's married to Laura. They finally got together. Our next story is a personal favorite of mine. It's a story I think I heard in All Mysterious Universe a long time ago. I actually really, really like this story. Let's go ahead and hop back in the carpenter copter, and we're flying around. You carry me back in the carpenter copter. We're looking out for clouds. We have cloud bursting. Actually, no, that makes more clouds, doesn't it? We're flying around. We're trying to avoid clouds. The little the little black clouds are chasing us. We outmaneuver them. We're actually going back in time a little bit further. We're going back to the year 1972. So, poof! The clouds are shaking their fist at us as we disappear into the time portal. We'll get you. Ne- we'll spit you next time. So we're back in time now. It's 1972. We're going to Utah. Welcome to Utah, the big square state, and it's flat. And there's a bunch of Latter Day Saints there. I actually heard they're going by the name Mormon now. They're just like I give up. When I was a kid, it was an insult called Mormons. Mormons. They went by Latter Day Saints, and nowadays they're just like whatever. That's the term that sticks around. We're flying our helicopter through Utah. And we're going... You know what? I'm going to kick back in this one. I'm going to shrink myself down to a 
uh, little dude. I'm going to squeeze into the back seat of this car. What? What am I talking about? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be just watching this whole thing. I'm going to place you in the driver's seat of the car. I'm not going to fit in the back seat. No matter how much I shrink, my leg's still going to hurt. I'm not going on the, I'm not going on the journey with you on this one. I will, um, I'll be somewhere. Just, just imagine that. I make you get in the car, okay? It's what I'm trying to get at. And you are in the car with four girls, four young college students. I know some of you, <laughs> some of you, your anxiety is already kicking in being trapped in a car with four people. But see, see you later. I wave to you from the side of the road and your car takes off. You're driving. I'll have you drive down this road. Now, the point is, is that this car had four young women in it. And this is where we start to kind of run into a bit of problems with the story. I'm not going to address them here and there, but I got to get this one out of the way. Sometimes the four girls are named. Sometimes they're given fake names. And sometimes they're given relationships like the driver and her sister and then the sister's friend and then the friend's cousin or something like that. That varies from account to account, but in this version, we're going to just start it off saying it's four unnamed girls in the car and you. So you and four unnamed girls, you're like, hey, what's your name? And they just look at you, just drive the car. You and four girls are driving home from a rodeo. (laughs) If you're like, Jason, I hate rodeos and I don't like being crammed into cars. Sorry, you're driving home from a rodeo, you and these four girls. Have just had a great time at the rodeo. Coming home. Now, you have to get back to college. You you guys currently attend Southern Utah University. And the girls have a dorm mistress, dorm master, whatever you're called, who is very, very punctual. If you're not home by 10 p.m., she locks all the doors. You can't get in or out. And she hunts them one by one with an axe. But no, they have to be home by 10 p.m. Otherwise, they'll have to sleep in their car. Or maybe it's your place. So... You're driving as fast as you can, or as slow as you can, and you're driving through the Utah Badlands. I think it's the Badlands. The whole state's a Badland. It's just one giant hostile desert. It's America's Australia. Driving through Utah, and as they're driving by uh, Highway 56, they see a little town of Modena. And it's like a tiny, tiny town. It's like a one-stoplight town. At least it was back then. And the girls make an executive decision. There's no way we're going to get home before 10, unless we take a shortcut. So they remembered, they heard at least, there's a shortcut if they drive through the Gaddington Canyon. Now, Gaddington Canyon is, part of it is paved, but some of it you're going to have to do a little off, off-road. And I think they're in like a Chevy Nova or a Chevy Impala or something like that. It's a new car. It's like 1971, new to them nowadays, a piece of junk. But you figure, yes, girls, I can get you home before 10 p.m. We will take a shortcut through the Gaddington Canyon. And so the car goes off onto like a little side street, start driving into the canyon. And after about a half hour of driving through this twisting canyon, no moon in the sky, it's completely dark. You see the canyon walls on both sides of you and you're like, oh, it's kind of spooky. But I'm sure this is a shortcut, right? But after a while, the paved road starts to just turn to nothing, cracked asphalt and then nothing. And then there's a sheer canyon wall in front of the car. So at this point, the girls are like, great, we're never going to get home in time. We're going to have to sleep at your house. And you're like, yes, (laughs) plan all along. But in reality, the girls are like, great, we're going to be stuck. We're not going to be able to get home. We're going to have to sleep in the car. So you bust the U-turn and you're coming back through the canyon. 
And as you're driving through the canyon, that's when you start to notice there's a moon in the sky. And you're like, what? My high school science teacher, Tom D. Urkel, <laughs> told me that moons only appear once a month. Well, not like that. They don't show up once a month. But if we go, can't go from one moon to... We can't go from no moon to one moon in a couple hours. And the girls look at you and they're like, what are you talking about? You're like, never mind, never mind. And But they also notice that it is weird there is a full moon when just earlier there was no moon. And when they come out of the canyon, it's no longer like this desert in front of them. There's wheat fields. Beautiful, beautiful wheat fields shining in the moonlight. I guess being reflected by the moonlight, however you want to say. And there's a giant ponderosa pine out in the distance. Now... They go, and you, because you're in this story, go, let's drive to the tree. Maybe we'll find something over there. Okay. I mean, these people are driving through canyons trying to find a shortcut. So whatever. They they figure nature will lead them home. They drive towards the Ponderosa tree, and it's just a tree. I mean, you can see it from the distance. I don't know if they expected it to be an elevator or like a spaceship. They drive by the tree, and as they're driving by this giant tree, they see lights down the road. Yes! civilization let's go there guys you continue you just do you, you do what they say and you're driving down the road and you see lights and it looks like a little roadhouse looks like a little bar restaurant so you're like we'll figure we'll get to buy to eat something to drink talk to these girls for a while and then we'll get back in the car they're not getting home by now anyways but also you're lost you're actually that's not what they're thinking they weren't thinking about eating back to their regular story they're like where are we where are we? We're surrounded by wheat. They weren't hungry. Sorry, I was imagining my own self in this story. They go there because they're like, we're lost. We have to find directions. Let's go there and ask someone for directions. And you're like, and get something to eat? And you're like, yes, yeah, sure, you can get something to eat. Just make it snappy. So, apparently Jughead is also in this car trying to get hamburgers all the time. He did that, right? Or was that Wimpy? Anyway, both of them, Jughead and Wimpy are in the car as well. Driving down the road, and you get to the the burger joint, and the girl said that they could see this neon sign. They couldn't understand what it said. It was all just squiggly. And they're like looking at it, and they're like, oh, it's just, I don't understand that language. Or maybe it's some art deco design. But there's a bunch of people kind of milling about in the parking lot, and there's some bizarre-looking cars in the parking lot as well. Egg-shaped vehicles, three wheels. And so one girl leans her head out the car window and she goes to ask someone, hey, do you guys know where we're at? I'm like, can I get directions? And you're like, oh, can I get a number two, please, with a Diet Coke? But as you're yelling your order out and as she's asking for directions, the people in the parking lot turn around and the girl starts screaming right in your ear, screaming at the top of her lungs. And then she just starts screaming, go, 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 go. And you don't know what it is, but you don't see the people in the parking lot. Like you physically saw them, but you don't see their faces. Just her screaming in your ear. You hit the gas. Car takes off. And as the car's flying down the road, the girl who saw them starts screaming. And then another girl also looks out the window and sees what's out the window. She starts screaming as well. So you're driving down the road. and You're like, what'd you see? What'd you see? And they're like, just go, go, go. They're not human. They're not human. And you're like, gulp. This isn't good. Now, that is when you hear, and you look in your rear view window, and there's four of those egg-shaped cars buzzing towards you. And they're catching up. Now, you thought the cars were weird looking in the parking lot, but you you are 100% for sure these aren't cars at all. Never seen a vehicle like this before. 
going through the desert road. Eggmobiles right after you. You make an executive decision. You're like, calm down, hysterical women. Calm down. I'm in charge now. Bust a U-turn. I don't know. He might have been going the right way in the original story. But in our version, you have to bust a U-turn. Because I just imagined it going in the wrong direction. <laughs> now you're racing towards the eggmobiles. Eggmobiles. There's a lot of chasing in this episode. I didn't plan it this way. Eggmobiles. Spin out. Now they're following you. You made an executive decision. You want to get back to the canyon because at least you know that area. So you're coming after you. And you go into the canyon and the eggmobiles are right behind you. Start. It's like trench run. Eggs are flying at you from the top of the canyon walls. Oh, no, no. No, they go into the canyon and then they come back out of the canyon and the engine dies. It doesn't explode, but I don't know how to make the sound effect of an engine just going. So it's hood flies up. Airbags to play. They didn't have airbags back then. Cars were death traps. And three of the tires are completely shredded. So you just kind of hobble to a hot. And I'm standing there with my crutch going, it took you long enough. And I just start hobbling. And we all have to hobble because the car is totally inoperative and it's miles away from Modena. So eventually you have to pick me up. You and the four girls have to carry me like I'm an Egyptian prince all the way to Modena where we call law enforcement. At that point, Officer Vic Lundquist, officer comes out and goes, hmm, that's weird. So your story of... This thing that you told me about. I have some questions about it. You can shoot. Not literally. Not literally. Cops all grabbing his gun. Shoot. Shoot. Ask your questions. He goes, well, it's weird because I only see your car tracks go a short while from Modena into the desert. But then there's no tire tracks after that. And I noticed that the other stuff with tire tracks. And I noticed that one of your hubcaps is missing. But no officer here was ever able to locate your hubcap. Right, and you're like, why are you writing down such stupid details in your police report? And Vic Lundquist goes, well, because people will be asking these questions, whether or not the story is true, 30 years from now. And then the camera pans up to the night sky. There's no moon. Roll credits. That's the story of the Gaddington Canyon time portal. Now, now it's one of my favorite stories, but let's go ahead and step back for a second. There are some glaring inconsistencies in that story. Let's tear it apart and then put, put it back together again. Because I think there's a reason why this story is popular, or it really why it was crafted in the first place. It's possible the story's true, but it has some interest, and we'll get to that in a second as well, but it has some interesting weaknesses to it. One, Vic Lundquist has been retconned to Victoria Lindquist. So some people have said, oh, that was just an error. It was actually a female police officer who came to the scene. So it was never Vic Lundquist, it was Victoria Lindquist. And that came about because someone was Google searching to see if there was really a Victor Lundquist who lived in Utah at that time. And apparently there's someone named Victor Lundquist and Victoria Lindquist, both living in the Utah in the area around that time. So that, that's a, a weird retcon. I'm kind of attacking these backwards. Two, every version of the story ends with the police report saying there's no tire tracks from where the car left Highway 65 in the first place. There was no, which we can, that, that one is stupid to begin with because the cars broke down miles away from Modena in every version of the story. 
So if a cop came out and was like chewing a piece of wheat, and you're like, where'd you get that wheat from? There's no wheat in Utah. And he's like, he's, he's secretly an alien. He's like, ah. If a gum, if now a new cop, cop shows up and he's chewing gum and he's watching tire tracks and he goes, that's weird. Tire tracks ended just feet off of the highway. And you're like, we just walked five miles. You can f- go out there and see that our car is there. And the cop would be like, oh, that mystery solved. Wind blew the tire tracks away. That's such a stupid part of the mystery. The hubcap missing. There's a couple other ones that are like tire tracks, like didn't appear here and they should have been here. But who cares? There's there went to an alien portal. I don't expect there to be like Goodyear marks perfectly along the road all the way to the alien portal. The fact that their car broke down near the canyon should be proof that they left the road. It's such bizarre detail that comes up in every single story. The moon. There's two versions of the story where all the details are the same, but in some of them, it was a full moon. They went to a world with no moon. And then in the version I told you, which seems to be the most most popular one, there's no moon and they go to a world with a full moon. Oh, let me tell you about the egg cars as well. A lot of people, this story, the earliest posting of this story online was 2006. And apparently it happened in 1972. Now, Sometimes, again, it could be a hoax. Sometimes it could be written in some obscure UFO book that was just hanging out at used bookstores for 20, 30 years, and someone bought one and read it and put it online. That's always possible. That's happened a couple times. Like Sam the Sandown Clown was kind of the same thing. That was an old UFO report. So it's not unusual to have stories show up later. But the earliest version of this story that appeared online was from 2006. That website is down. So 2007 is the earliest verifiable. You can pull up the website and look at it. And that was 2007. There is a concept car that has an egg-shaped design with three wheels on it. And people go, whoa, that's the car that the girl saw. That car, that design of that car wasn't released until 2010. So usually when you read articles about the Gaddington portal, they always will show this concept art. But here's the problem with that. It, they Yes, there is a car on Earth, that is made to look like an egg with three wheels, but it's not piloted by aliens in a diner. Like, that is just a bizarre coincidence. It's not showing that they traveled into the future, I don't think, unless Utah, if it took place in the future enough that Utah has wheat and people have turned into monsters, they're not driving around a car that was designed in 2010. Unless that was like a retro auto festival where people are like hey let's drive cars from a thousand years ago if that much change has happened why would they be driving cars designed in 2010 so that detail is just a weird coincidence another thing is like they have so these versions of these stories have so much dialogue where they're like becky said slam it so i slammed it and then she's like look out here comes another one and then as i turned and i said oh no here comes another one the chick next to me goes drive becky drive i think they're all named becky in this version there's tons of dialogue in this story but not a single version says what the people look like. They just say they're not human. It's like someone wrote a young adult novel and put this all in there. One of the most interesting details, though, is there's no such place officially named the Gaddington Canyon. Now, it's one of those stories that, like I said, I've enjoyed for a long, long time, but I never looked into it. And someone else has this website called the Debunker Files or something like that. Then that website made some ridiculous arguments against it as well. Like I was like, that's kind of dumb. But one of the the stellar pieces I got from it is there is no place called 
the Gaddington Canyon in that area. Because the city of Modena is real. It's a tiny town. There's two canyon ranges, though. There are two canyon ranges. Officially, none of them are named Gaddington Canyon. The reason why, and this is really telling about why I think this story exists. Assuming it's fake. Assuming it's fake. The reason why it's known as the Gaddington Canyon Portal, the reason why it's referred to as the Gaddington Canyon, is Gaddington Canyon is a local name that the Mormons use for that area. The only time you see reference to that is with this story and the story from the Book of Mormon about a dude named Gaddington who led an army of thieves that were attacking the Nephites, or they were the Nephites. It's this Mormon story, it's this Book of Mormon story, where before Jesus died and came to America, there was a bunch of people like hanging out here. There were a bunch of people hanging out here, but they weren't the Nephites. They actually have, the Mormon church actually has an archaeological team dedicated to finding proof, physical proof, of the Book of Mormon in America. Because they have these giant war machines, they have these ancient empires, it was a super advanced civilization that waged war across America. They And a lot of times in the Book of Mormon, they ride horses around. There were no horses in America, so then it turns out they were riding like tapers or something, like big old pigs. But anyways, anyways, I just did an episode on the Book of Giants, so I can't really talk trash about the Book of Mormon. The only time you hear about Gaddington Canyon is in reference to the Book of Mormon and a group of evil thieves and an army of like evil thieves robbing people. And this story. So I think this is the origin of this story. I think it is a... I think this is where it came from. I bet dollar to donuts that this is a urban legend. It's a Mormon urban legend, basically. I think it's probably something that was told in youth groups to scare people. Because this story has a moral that is not readily recognizable when you first go through it. The moral is do not stay out past curfew. Very, very interesting, because when you first hear it, I didn't pick up on that. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, that's fascinating, you know, go in another dimension. And then you hear it over and over again, but when I, I become more become more skeptical doing the show, because I just have to read so much of this stuff. I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, there is a moral to the story. Like, so many stories we cover, don't play in the water, so, you know, a dolphin might get you. We'll come up with this legend. Don't go, don't go into the woods, kids, or this guy who makes you walk backwards will get you, whatever they are. This particular one is don't stay late anywhere. Get home before curfew is the moral of the story. Then you would have never been chased by these monsters. And I think one of the reasons why I think that's clear is that the monster, nobody dies. It's a urban legend you can tell at a youth group, at a lock-in, a bunch of 13-year-old kids. They're not going to have nightmares. People get away. You don't know what the monsters look like. Which, in reality, if you knew the dialogue of the people in the car, and this happened 30 years ago, you would, someone would have said, yeah, they look like they were pig people, or they had giant eyes, or they look like clouds wearing clothes. It would have been something with it, rather than, we don't know what they look like. So I think what my, one of, so I think one of my favorite interdimensional stories involving a bunch of young women getting sucked into another dimension and out having outrun a bunch of aliens, I think also <laughs> intrigues a bunch of 13-year-olds in a locked church late at night. As their youth minister goes, and then the cops couldn't find tire tracks leading off the road. And the kids are like, oh, no, I want to go home. I want to go home. I think that's the origin of this story. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my skeptical side is wrong, and I'm tearing apart the truth. Someone could tell you the truth, and you could be just as skeptical. Find little holes in it. 
make them sweat a bit. Very, very possible. I think the interesting thing about this story, too, is that you figure it has to happen both ways. If we can slip into their reality, couldn't they slip into ours? We talk about UFOs being from other dimensions and things like that, and like ghosts may actually be from other dimensions. We're not actually seeing dead people. But if four girls can make a wrong turn down the wrong canyon on the wrong night and end up in an alien world, could they do the same? Have they done the same? We talk about missing people all the time, and and most missing people stories have a rational explanation. But at a certain point, you have to say, I can't explain how this person went missing. They just disappeared. So are there stories of young alien creatures that look human at first glance? These guys looked like they were human, at least humanoid. How many times have one of theirs crossed over to our world, turned a corner, appeared in the middle of a city, surrounded by monsters, not understanding any of the writing on any of the billboards? And if that's happened, and statistically it would have had to happen, if it can happen one way, it'll happen the other way. Did they get away? Was that young group of aliens from another dimension driving home from their gloop glorp, trying to beat the clock, and they got lost in our world. Would they have simply been chased off by men in Harleys and a guy in a Toyota pickup truck? Or would they have been cut down, blown up, captured and sent to the U.S. military? Yeah, probably. And I think that's what would have happened to those young girls as well, if those egg-shaped vehicles had caught them. The story wouldn't be told in Mormon youth groups. Their story would only be found in military logs and medical texts in an alien dimension. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Hey, 